I am Mayor Watt, that is hometown.com. I'm the mayor of hometown.com, and this is the Hometown Daily News Show, which is built off of the website and its news aggregation using, well, a little thing called Gather that reaches out and grabs about 200 news sources, thousands of news snippets, not the full article. I don't grab their artwork. I don't play their videos, etc., etc. All kinds of stuff that I've said over and over again for the last 290 episodes. This episode is for October 17th, 2022. Let's get into today's news. Don't have much preamble for today. Um, not much really went on, uh, but I did select about 12 articles today, the first of which is in the Hedge Ideas channel, and it's an, an Olympic curling stone costs about $600, making a full set worth $9,600, and here's why it's so expensive. Uh, this is actually sourced from businessinsider.com, but I have already seen why curling stones, Olympic curling stones, are so expensive. And uh, I was really curious to see if, uh, really, I think it's been several years since I saw this video about the creation. It was from how it's made. Um, and uh, I watched how curling stones were made. And I, uh, it's pretty neat. I, but I love tech of all kinds. So, you know, when a, a video that could say how an Olympic curling stone could be made, I watched it. And um, there's a lot of elaborate technology involved in it, um, up to including going out and finding massive stones to cut into slabs so that you can create these, you know, little stones. Not little, I mean, they're pretty heavy and they're pretty sophisticated in their design. Um, so let's get into it. A single curling stone certified for the Olympics costs over $600. That makes a full set worth $9,600. Since 2006, every stone used in the Olympic Winter Games has come from Keys, I guess, or it might be Keys, um, Keys of Scotland. Uh, that, depending on where you're from, is going to be pronounced differently until you know, so I think it's Keys of Scotland. Um, the company has produced curling stones since 1851. But making these stones isn't easy for every stone it makes. Keys uses granite from one tiny island off the coast of Scotland called Ailsa Craig. That might be pronounced again a little bit more <laughs> fluently by someone skilled in the vernacular. This is an article that was written uh, over at businessinsider.com by Taryn Vericchio, pardon me, and Clancy Morgan. Um, Sometimes my aggregator will re-grab something, um, mainly because an update has come through and, and it was notified. But um, I try to keep everything as new as possible. I am not, although I don't, I understand history and, and uh, I, I don't like <laughs> society repeating history. Um, good or bad, really. I think we can always make it better. Um, yeah, 
I try to keep things current. So, uh, unfortunately, some of these articles have been updated. Something has been tweaked. And so an, an older article will get pulled back into the gatherer. Um, that said, this isn't really one of them. It was just updated three hours ago. Um, but the video that's over there is the video because I recall this. Um, this is the same video that I watched from uh, how it's made, as far as I can tell. Um, just cut differently. It's... Yeah, as, as far as I know, this is the same video. But it's neat, and it'll walk you through how the stones are made, um, interspersed with a discussion about curling and, and the history of it. And um, Go and check it out. You'll dig it if you are interested in that kind of thing. I'm interested in all kinds of tech, like I said. So, um, Now, what I have started doing is allowing you to vote if you are a listener uh, via the podcast or you're finding this via YouTube or via uh, the VOD here on Twitch, um, you can actually vote it up by going to hometown.showbot.tv. And I push over to Showbot and all you have to do is hit exclamation Showbot and it'll give you the link hometown.showbot.tv. And you can vote for the articles that you think are interesting. And I'll keep those in mind when I parse the news, the last 24 hours of news. I hope you kind of dig it. And again, I come from it uh, at the perspective of business technology and society. And that's the area that I talk um, pretty much all day about. So let's keep moving through the news. Uh, the next article is Ticket to Paradise is already a hit overseas with Julia Roberts and George Clooney. Uh, their latest rom-com charm U.S. audiences. I don't really see how it it couldn't. Both of them have uh, sustained charisma. And uh, while some might say, well, you know, they're not in their prime or whatever, I think that's kind of bunk. Um, they still have acting chops. They, Like I said, they still have a great reputation. They still have... Uh, charisma and um, I don't know I think that it'll probably be received pretty well here in the U.S. Ticket to Paradise a romantic comedy that reunites longtime friends and co-stars Julie Roberts and George Clooney could defy box office odds admittedly it seems strange to suggest a movie with megawatt talent like Roberts and Clooney could be anything other than a massive triumph but even in pre-pandemic times romantic comedies were challenged so this is an article by Rebecca Rubin over at Variety.com. And I don't know. To me, maybe this is kind of a kind of a a non-issue. Um it's been especially stark in the COVID era. Although The Lost City with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum beat expectations with 190 million globally. Billy Eigner's bros has faced an uphill battle to reach 10.8 million worldwide. That's probably because I don't recall ever even hearing about bros. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's about marketing and, and word of mouth. You know, that kind of works. You don't know what you don't know. And I've heard about Ticket to Paradise. I heard and I, I actually ended up purchasing uh, The Lost City. So 
Um, it had a, a, a great commercial, a great trailer. So I haven't even watched a trailer for Ticket to Paradise. So let's see. I'll have to take a look. But there's a reason to believe that Ticket to Paradise, which lands in North America on October 21st, could be another reminder that romantic comedies haven't entirely fallen out of favor at the movies. No, they have not. Far from it. Oh my goodness. I mean, there's... An, well, I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> there's... there's an, I'll, I'll, I'll go so far as to say there's entire networks dedicated to romantic comedies and r romance in general, and people will pay money to go and see it particularly with brand recognition like sandra bullock and uh, Channing tatum tatum channing tatum and uh, roberts and clooney yeah um, people will go and see that eh, i'd rather see it at home so hopefully they uh, start uh, direct to home distribution um, pretty quick uh, already the combined charm of Roberts and Clooney is working at the international box office where Ticket to Paradise has generated an, an impressive $72 million to date. Universal reported that Ticket to Paradise is outpacing Lost City, which tapped out at $85 million overseas, as well as pre-pandemic meet-cute stories like Last Christmas, which got $88 million overseas, and Crazy Rich Asians, which got $64 million overseas at the same point in their respective international rollouts. <clears throat> so, not too bad, right? But it's at the same date, so I'm curious if Ticket to Paradise will rise at the same level as The Lost City. Maybe Channing uh, Tatum made that push uh, faced with uh, Sandra Bullock, so... We'll see. We'll see. Um, they talk about changing taste and audience have veered towards superheroes and little else have resulted in Netflix commandeering the meat cute market. I don't know. I think the more variety, um, the, the, as I said at a meeting recently, you're not going to get a bigger pie. If you bang the drum for the same audience that you are already appealing to, you have to raise awareness. You have to provide a bigger offering to more people in a broader area. Otherwise, you're going to be forever stuck at the finite number of resources, i.e. customers, clients, that you have now. So you have to push out. We'll see. It's always a wait and see game. Let's go on to the next article, and that is here in the Distillerist channel, which is about spirits, uh, not ghosts. I know it's Halloween season, spooky October, spooktober, as some say, as the youth says, as the young people say. Uh, never mind. Anyway, um, rapper Cardi B's vodka-infused whip shots has sold 1 million cans in under one year. Didn't even know these existed. I'm not much of a drinker anymore, but, and I never really was, as a matter of fact. You know, in the grand scheme of things, when you think that you are drinking, like, I don't know, what amounts to a shot a day, or a couple of fingers of whiskey a day, or a beer 
or two a day. You might look at yourself and go, wow, I'm drinking pretty hard, but that's a, that's an acceptable amount, apparently. And uh, I never really drank beer. <laughs> I never did shots really um, hardcore. Every once in a while, I would go to a party um, and probably did more than I should, but never a lot. You know, and I'm a lightweight. So anyway, a million cans of whip shots. Have you heard of whip shots? Let me know in chat. Let me know in messages. Let me know if you've heard of whip shots. One million cans. Vodka infused whipped cream is available in three 10% ABV flavors, vanilla, caramel and mocha. According to the firm, the brand sold out in seconds though, uh, through its limited release program, Whip Drop, and first appeared in U.S. retail shell shelves in February this year through Republic National Distributing Company. And since then, Whipshots has expanded to 14 states and is carried by more than 6,000 accounts after seven months. I guess they're slowly rolling it out. Um, there's three sizes, 50 milliliters at six bucks, 200 milliliters at 14 bucks and 375 milliliters at 19 bucks, but you might as well round up. And they, un they unveiled a branded game earlier this year to mark Valentine's day called what Cardi B's whip shots. You can follow that link. I never follow links from the aggregated site. Anyway, let's move on to the next article. Um, if you are into technology and you happen to be into cybersecurity, maybe you've heard of the Wi-Fi coconut. It's in a router's evil twin. That's kind of pushing a couple of things together because yeah, actual evil twin has connotations in cybersecurity that are not bound by the Wi-Fi coconut. Anyway, it says here, we treat Wi-Fi connections like hardened tunnels to wherever we're connecting to the internet, but there's nothing inherently private about the signal. That's not really true anymore either. Uh, for the most part, if you are using a Wi-Fi connection, it's gonna be secure nowadays, unless somebody has completely wet the bed and just left it entirely unlocked, like entirely unlocked. That's just not how it works, right? There's always an encryption key nowadays. Um, Wi-Fi Wi-Fi is just radio, and like any radio, the signals go out in all directions all the time. That's not always true. Um, anyone with the right antenna can listen to what's being broadcast, and it's nearly impossible to tell what they're doing. Uh, even more dangerous, anyone can offer Wi-Fi, so it's hardly or so it's hard to be absolutely sure who you're connecting to. That is the scariest part and absolutely true. Now, you can kind of tell what you're connected to, but you have to be wise about it. And this article, whoa. This article, The Wi-Fi Coconut is a Router's Evil Twin by Russell Brandom over at The Verge, says it's capable of monitoring 14 Wi-Fi channels at once, opening the door to all sorts of mischief. Okay, so not only is it listening 
It's listening to all 14 channels, and I assume that it's only the 2.4 gigahertz range. And let's see here. Where most routers make do with two to six antennas, the coconut has 14, one for each channel in the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi spectrum. If there's going to be a coconut max that does the five gigahertz range, then you've got double duty and double the worry. Um, 2.4 gigahertz has kind of fallen off, but there's a lot of entrenched signals out there. So somebody who wants to do a pen test or wants to eavesdrop can certainly get a coconut and just plop it out there and do what amounts to a Wi-Fi tap. Listening to all, all <laughs> in the, the uh, 2.4 um, gigahertz Wi-Fi spectrum constantly without hopping so the reason why there's okay so before wi-fi 6 there was signal hop and so the wi-fi router that you would be connecting to would constantly hop across all of the signals um, sending data but it's actually pretty quick but whenever it hops you couldn't grab that data so if you have 14 uh, antennas listening it's scooping up everything all the time. Um, I think here it says without wireless capability, the attack surface of a device shrinks dramatically. So this is actually just listening, not transmitting. So let's see. Yeah. So in simple terms, the Wi-Fi coconut acts like a powerful router, but one that sucks up data without transmitting anything out. Essentially it's in promiscuous mood and it's just listening and scooping up every packet if your packet is encrypted then unless you have a, a, a sophisticated user this isn't going to do anything worthwhile really um, because most transmissions have some type of protection in place and again everyone needs somebody that is aware of cybersecurity. so Definitely consider it <clears throat> for home networking. You need to find somebody you trust uh, for your business. You need to find somebody you can fire and, and trust. So the recording alone doesn't tell you very much. The vast majority of Wi-Fi traffic is encrypted. Just like I said. Um, so without the keys, you won't be able to tell much about what people are doing. Um, but just because you can't pull passwords out of thin air, in plain text doesn't mean there isn't serious mischief to be made and you can actually grab a bunch of packets and eventually strip the password but it takes a little bit of work um, and usually it involves real-time real-time transmission which is why you need a Wi-Fi pineapple not not the coconut where there is an evil twin portal wherein you can act as a man in the middle attack or attacker um, and um, that's where the serious mischief can take place um, and it's fun ish uh, but distressing for anybody that might fall victim to it um, and depending on where you are and who is around you you might be able to I don't know reindeer games so to speak. Um, so what can it do? It can listen in. The coconut can listen in on everything. Um, this has to be, I don't recall finding it 
this has to be a hack five thing because they're that's kind of their their gig um, along with the pineapple um, let me see if there's a link in here that I can no not that uh, Wi-Fi coconut yeah so it links to hack five so it's a hack org product if you're interested in this kind of stuff go over and check out the article at the verge and then that, you can follow that via the link through hometown and then go over to hack5.org and really check out what might be out there. Um, that's the kind of stuff that gets you really kind of squirming in your seat about what might be out there. Because the stuff we know that's dangerous, we know about and can try to defend against. But the stuff we don't know about, that's another matter. Uh, here's our favorite VR games that span the gamut of horror and thriller subgenres. Below you'll find adventure, combat, and plenty of hair-raising close encounters with ghoulies of all make and model. With some exceptions, most of the games below support all major VR headsets including SteamVR, PSVR, and MetaQuest. 15 VR horror games for an immersive fright this Halloween. This is uh, provided well, it's posted over at roadtovr.com. It's provided by means of my gatherer uh, bot. Again, I don't screen scrape, so just wanted to let everybody know. Um, so this is by Scott Hayden over at Road to VR. Um, one of my primary sources now. Um, as soon as I activate others, uh, you'll be hearing about them as well. But there are a few that I already have in that get processed. I just don't find articles from them as often. Um, it's probably spooky. To, well, it's not probably. It's that spooky time of the year again. And if you're looking for extra fright or 15 leading up to Halloween, go no further than these top VR games that are sure to send shivers down your spine. I'm waiting for my Pico VR to come. It's going to launch tomorrow. I'm very excited. I don't know if I'll get it because it's back ordered. And I'm ordering it from far, far away. And uh, yeah, it may not. Um, for those of you who are interested in the Pico VR, you might want to uh, invest in some rechargeable batteries because it doesn't have chargers in its hands handsets. You're going to have to pull the batteries out, charge them, plug them back in, drain them, plug them back in. Um, and um, you'll also want to get battery packs to extend its functionality if you want to play for more than three hours at a time. Uh, two and a half is the rumor. They say three, but it's really two and a half. So go out and buy yourself at least one um, backup battery pack from... Who did I get it from? Bob Bobo, I think it is. Bobo VR. I think it's called Bobo VR. Sorry, it's down there on the floor. At any rate, let's look at these games. I probably won't. I'll skim through it pretty fast. Uh, Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners. These are all VR games. Five Nights at Fri Freddy's, uh, Help Wanted. I might play that. My yeah. Anyway, Blair Witch. Seems old school to me. Um, Wraith, The Oblivion Afterlife. Wow, the name is kind of just a run-on sentence at this point. Red Matter and Red Matter 2. That might be interesting. Into the Radius. I have not heard of that. The Room VR, a dark matter. 
That's actually two words, so it should be a dark matter, but they've got it merged together as one word. It looks like in the title it's actually a dark matter, not a dark matter. Anyway, um, In Death Unchained, again, VR, all of this stuff. The Exorcist Legion VR, that will probably freak me out because uh, I was very young when I watched The Exorcist, and I do not wish that on anyone. Half-Life Alex, which is my favorite. When I had my index, this was the game that I really got into. I want to go back to this game, but in uh, <laughs> in the Pico VR interface, higher resolution, better field of view, and no cord. Oh my God, I want to play Alex VR. Oh my God, oh my God. Anyway, um, Hellblade, Senua's uh, Sacrifice VR Edition. Uh, it's a Steam VR game apparently, but only Steam VR. So it says Index Vive Rift Windows VR. Um, Jurassic World Aftermath. That might be interesting. Resident Evil 4, which says Quest only, Quest 2. Well, that sucks. Lies Beneath is MetaQuest and Rift, which that sucks. And if it's not Steam, then I I say kick this. Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, but that's my niche. Not everybody's, I understand that. So those are all of the games that are over here at uh, Road to VR. But Road to VR provides a whole lot more uh, context to it. But I wanted to just let you all know about these 15 scary games. Um, the next article, and yes, I know that it is only Monday, and why am I talking about all of this alcohol stuff with the blah, 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 and blah, and this one, uh, this one is in Distillerist, Jameson debut single pot still whiskey, um, because it came up in my aggregator, and um, I thought it was interesting, so... Um, Irish Distillers Arm has added a Jameson single pot whiskey uh, to the brand's permanent range. This was actually updated at some point because it got pulled into my aggregator, but it came from October 11th, 2022. So almost a week ago. Um, this is a Jameson single, single pot still. is described as a throwback to an era when Irish whiskey reigned supreme. It still does. Uh, during the 19th century, the Jameson Bow, uh, Bow Street, or Bow Street, I think it's Bow Street, um, distillery in Dublin was known globally for its single pot still whiskey. However, by the 20th century, the distillery moved to a blended whiskey to attract new drinkers. The 46% ABV expression was created by master distiller Kevin O'Gorman, using a mash bill of malted and unmalted barley before being triple distilled. This should be absolutely fantastic liquid is then matured in a combination of ex-bourbon and ex-sherry casts along with three virgin oak cast types american english uh, european and um, irish so this wow this should be really interesting uh, the use of ex-bourbon and ex-sherry casts provide the whiskey with notes of dried fruits vanilla fudge while the virgin oak casts result in hints of toasted oak and woodland spices. Yeah, this should be interesting. I, I'll probably go out and get a bottle of this just so that I've got it. Um, while crafting this whiskey, the team at Middleton Distillery worked hard to find the exact balance 
end flavor profile for our finished product, which is hard to actually figure out. You can predict all you want, but maybe something weird in the casks throws off the flavor. Um, so this is one still multiple aging. Um, so ultimately though, it's blended across all three of the, well, more than three. It's a combination of ex-bourbon and ex-sherry casks that it's aged in, and then three different oak cask types, American, English, sorry, American, European, and Irish. Those five are blended together, but it's just one still. So um, I wonder what the, from bottle to bottle, what it, what it would be like. Um, because Blue Label to me, I, I've had several tastes of Blue Label. Um, and that is supposed to be like just amazing. But from one bottle to another, I had a dramatically different experience. Um, let's move on. The, the next article is uh, over in Law Nerd. I am not an attorney, and even if I was an attorney, I'm not your attorney, so nothing I say is legal advice. Um, but a London judge has fined a former Jones Day partner. And I'm really at this point, I'm not sure why they would mention Jones Day because the person isn't there anymore. I had heard about this previously. Um, but um, a former Jones Day partner had uh, about $28,000 after finding him in contempt of court after for telling a client's uh, business to delete secure a secure messaging app. So the correct title is former Jones Day partner is fined by UK judge for telling client to delete secure messaging app. So what I had heard about this was that the dude panicked and um, because it basically implicated him, but by means of his wife. So this order article is over at the ABA journal. Um, it's from October 6th. Again, something was changed and it got pulled back in by at my uh, gatherer. And um, so here it, it says, but I still find it interesting. So I let this go. Um, a London judge has fined a former Jones Day partner about $28,000 after finding him in contempt of court for telling a client's business to delete a secure messaging app. This is a British High Court judge, Adam Johnson in the UK, ordered the fine uh, Wednesday, but rejected prison time for firm, former partner Raymond John McKeeve, according to a report from Law360, Reuters, and Law.com International, and now ABAJournal.com. McKeeve had told an IT person working for the client to burn the 3CX secure messaging app after learning of a search order, according to a prior uh, to prior coverage, by Law 360. I'm not sure why this person hasn't been sanctioned in some other way, but I haven't looked into it. Um, according to Law.com International, McKeeve left Jones Day in 2020 after seven years with the law firm. He said in June, he ordered the destruction of the evidence because of super heightened anxiety after his wife was subjected to vitriolic press attention because of her appointment as a Brexit party member of the European Parliament. Well, according to this attorney, McKeeve, who left Jones Day um, in 2020, um, he used his wife's name as a pseudonym in their communications in that encrypted app 
and McKeeve said he panicked when he realized that a phone would be seized with his wife listed as a contact and he didn't want to drag her into the litigation. So he <laughs> threw himself under the bus, uh, but was it enough? I don't know if this person is still practicing as an attorney, um, either in the United States or in the UK or anywhere. Um, but obviously the ethics of this are suspect. So I would really question everything. Again, just to make sure, this is an article um, that was aggregated by uh, ABAJournal.com. Deborah Kasson's Weiss is the author of this. Um, so let's move on to the next article. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband bought at least $1 million in Alphabet stock before House leadership proposed a congressional stock trading ban. So this, um, again, is an article that uh, we've heard about in some way before. And uh, it was posted about two hours ago, and the hits just don't stop coming. Um, Nancy Pelosi's husband seems to be uh, really well informed <laughs> about shit that's coming down from Congress. So the options were exercised just a week just over a week before house leadership unveiled a bill that would ban members and their spouses from trading individual stocks. Pelosi's husband also sold call options in Nvidia and Micron technology for a loss over a month after Biden signed the chips and science act of 2022 into law. Well, that's great for uh, a tax write-off, but if you're going to still make some spectacular trades in the future, it just doesn't matter. Well, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, exercised seven figures worth of Alphabet stock call options days before House leadership unveiled a bill that would ban members of Congress and their spouses from trading individual stocks. The value of the stock purchase was between $1 million and $5 million, according to a certified congressional disclosure made by Nancy Pelosi on October 14th. So we're real time here. Members of Congress are only required to report the values of such trades in broad ranges. Yeah, that broad range gets a whole lot smaller with other people. Uh, Paul Pelosi exercised the alphabet call options, which he purchased in December 2021. On September 16th, the, the day they were set to expire, Alphabet is the parent company of Google. The date fell just a week before House leadership introduced a Nancy Pelosi-backed bill that would ban members of Congress and their spouses from trading individual stocks. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. So I guess he's a day trader because he's sitting there flipping $400,000 around each day. <laughs> Seemingly, it's pretty spectacular, this guy. Biden signed the Chips and Science Act of 2022 with a goal of strengthening America's manufacturing supply chains and national security and invest in research and development, science and technology, and the workforce of the future to keep the United States leader in the industries of tomorrow, including nanotech, clean energy, quantum computing, and artificial intelligence. Well, that will never happen when the cost of processing everything domestically is wildly expensive with all kinds of environmental constraints adding to those 
costs while you have other countries with uh, a higher or lower cost uh, ratio there and less environmental oversight and the government seemingly doesn't give in well one bit about the plurality of the people yeah I'll just leave it there insider collected each of the trades that the speaker reported in 2021-2022 many of Pelosi's trades are worth millions a previous analysis from insider found that found in late 2021 that the speaker is ranked as the 14th wealthiest member of Congress with an estimated net worth of at least 46 million. I could care less really about what they're worth. My worry is that they're using insider information. We have bigger issues, which are billionaires that are controlling the government by means of lobbying super PACs and all this other crap. I think that the dynamic needs to change in politics and the citizens, the regular Joes need to speak up a little more and not the wing nuts. Let's move on. Whoa. Did I mess something up just now? No, maybe not. Okay. Well, anyway, um, the next article is in the continuity report, which is a channel all about movies. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to launch that at the beginning of next year. Uh, Harrison Ford joins Marvel's Captain America New World Order as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, replacing William Hurt. Harrison Ford is stepping into the MCU. The legendary actor will take a step in as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, replacing the late William Hurt for 2024's Captain America New World Order, starring Anthony Mackie. just move into the article itself uh, Adam B. Very and Angelique Jackson is the author of this article over at Variety.com um, the fourth Captain America movie follows the events of the 2021 uh, Disney Plus series The Falcon and the Winter, Snow, uh, Winter Soldier I, I always want to I crack jokes about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier that show's head uh, writer Malcolm Spellman wrote the screenplay with Faw's staff writer Dallin Musson or Moosen, I don't know how to pronounce his last name uh, or their last name Julius Ona Luce The Cloverfield Paradox is directing it does not appear however that Ford is set to star in Thunderbolts Marvel's anti-hero team-up film that is scheduled to immediately follow Captain America 4 Hurt first uh, played Ross in uh, Marvel Studios' second feature film, 2008's The Incredible Hulk, as a U.S. Army general who is instrumental in transforming scientist Bruce Banner, then played by Edward Norton, into the Hulk. Ross then spends the rest of the movie hunting for Banner, and Ross showed up again in 2016's Captain America Civil War as the Secretary of State, tasked with enforcing the Sokovia Accords meant to curtail the actions of the Avengers. After brief cameos in Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, Hurt's final performance as Ross was in 2021's Black Widow, which I have yet to even watch. I don't know why, it's just not one that I'm really driven to watch. 
Um, while this is Ford's first film within the MCU, it's far from his only franchise appearance. The 80-year-old 80, 80 actor has headlined in Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jack Ryan movies. His next starring role will be the fifth Indiana Jones movie set to premiere in June 2023. There's going to be another Indiana Jones? All right. Anyway, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, go over or follow that link. The next article is in the continuity report as well. Uh, Netflix launches profile transfer feature, making it easier for password freeloaders to set up their own paid accounts. Yes, if you are out there and you are, well, they call it password freeloading, which is sharing a password. Um, Netflix is working to stop that. And uh, I guess you'll eventually find out when your account, well, whoever it is that owns the password and it's logging in in multiple places in distant places, um, they're going to find out that it's no longer even a viable account. I guess we'll see how long that takes. Netflix wants to make it simpler as possible, as simple as possible or simpler for people who've been using somebody else's account, possibly a violation of the company's terms of use. As far as I know, it is. Um, to set up a separate paid membership on Monday, Netflix is launching Profile Transfer, a feature that'll let anyone on an existing account migrate their profile to their own account. Are you one of them? Todd Spangler is the author of this article over at Variety.com. Profile transfer, which Netflix says has been much requested by customers, will roll out to all members worldwide starting Monday. Users will be notified by mail, email, by the way, not physical mail. That might be a little ridiculous. Um, well, starting Monday. Yeah. And like many other services, it's rolled out in tranches not everybody's going to get this feature all at the same time otherwise their account might well the login services account creation processes might get overwhelmed netflix developed the profile transfer feature for a uh, a test launched in march in three countries chile costa rica and peru to address illicit password sharing in that test members who share their accounts with people outside of their households were able to pick lower cost options to add those password piggybackers as extra members. As part of that test, Netflix lets subscribers transfer user profiles to either a new account or an extra member account. In August, Netflix launched a separate test as an at-a-home feature in Argentina, the Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Netflix is everywhere, folks. To enable access for non-household users at a lower price than a full standalone membership. Let's move on to the next article. Uh, this one's in the word in tech. Um, I can't believe it, but it's happening. TikTok is raising the age requirement for going going live and introducing adult only streams. I never thought that TikTok would allow this, but that's okay. Let's see how long this lasts. In a blog post, TikTok announced a slew of changes to his live stream feature including new age gating methods and creator tools. Currently, anyone with at least 1,000 followers who's over the age of 16 can start a live stream on TikTok, and people over 18 can send and receive tips. One of the ways creators makes uh, make money on the platform and uh, 
beginning November 23rd, only users 18 and up will be able to host a live stream. I do not use TikTok. I don't stream to TikTok. I'm pretty much hanging out here on twitch.tv slash hometown. Um, but if, you know, Twitch isn't interested in me, then, uh, you know, maybe I'll try out TikTok. I don't know. Um, it's just another, it's a, it's a streaming platform now, but you know, I, I just, I like Twitch. At any rate, Mia Sato is the author of this over at theverge.com. And it says, uh, currently anyone over the age of 16 can go live, but that's going to be changing. And let's see if it says anything else. Quote, to protect our users and creators and support their well-being, we constantly work to evolve the safeguards we put in place, TikTok says. In addition, whoa. I don't know why it does that. I do, but I don't know why they make it happen. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, it's because uh, what what happens is the bottom half of the page loads and it's just massive. It's like three times the length of the article. Um, actually, no, it looks like it's about 10 times as long as the article that I'm reading. But it doesn't load until I hit the bottom of the page and it just scrolls all the way to the bottom. At any rate, uh, TikTok Live is increasingly becoming a core part of how creators use the platform in a revenue stream for the company. Last month, rest of the world reported ByteDance, um, which owns TikTok, was partnering with influencer agencies who train creators to host live streams and prompt viewers to tip them. Revenue from virtual gifts is split between the creator, TikTok, and the agency in the middle, according to Rest of World. I've never even heard of Rest of World. As live streams have gained more popularity, people have also figured out how to game the tipping system. Yeah, I bet. Let's move on to the next article. You can always follow those links. Come on, folks. I keep saying it. Maybe I should stop saying it. I don't know. Apple reportedly set to launch new iPad Pro tablets in coming days. This is a shock to my system. I had heard um, that they weren't going to launch M.2s um, back in the uh, back in the September announcement. But now there is a rumor that the M.2 chip is going to come before October 27th um, as it reports earnings. This hurts because I just purchased iPads. Um, so Sophia Pitt over at CNBC says Apple to unveil new iPad Pro with an M2 chip in the next few days. I have to fight myself to say M.2, but it's not an M.2. It's the processor is the M2, Apple M2. Uh, the company typically unveils new products and software ahead of its earnings report, which is scheduled to release on October 27th. The iPad's M2 chip upgrade will offer a speed boost of about 20%, according to the report. Oh. Anyway, um, the only other thing that I heard is that it won't have the mini LEDs uh, for backlighting, um, which... That's okay, I suppose. But the M2, oh, I wanted the M.2, M2, not M.2. I wanted the M2 in the mat in the uh, iPad Pro, um, 
but I bought the regular M1 iPad Pro and now this is what I'm going to end up with. I'm going to have to either sell this one, which you no longer get even close to its full asking price, um, or I bite the bullet and I buy the M2 anyway and do something with the iPad Pro that I got that's M1. Would I even notice a 20%? Yeah, probably I would. Anyway, the new iPad will feature the M2 chip, which is the newest chip in the current MacBook Air laptop, the report said. The upgrade is the first to Apple's iPad Pro in a year and a half, and it should offer a speed boost of 20%, according to the report. Uh, but the tablets may not offer many new features and will reportedly look the same as current models. But somehow they'll still have to change the case. It, they, I, don't, I can't remember a time where the case didn't have to be changed. You always have to replace the, 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 the case. Every, every time there is a new iteration out. Two millimeters and suddenly the case doesn't fit at all. All right. That's it for today for the Omtown Daily News Show. I am Mayor Watt, and this was the Omtown Daily News Show for October 17th, 2022. And I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.